good to see you this morning. Glad that you're here and welcome to week four of our Every Believer a Witness series. And if we're in week four, then that means that everyone needs a week four handout. If you didn't get one of these when you walked in, raise your hand up. Everybody needs to have one of these. If somehow you slipped in, there's some people ready to hand you one. Maybe you need a pen. Somebody over here raising a hand. Okay. Very good. If you remember, I began this series uh, by sharing with you some statistics. Statistics revealing that 95% of people who call themselves Christians have never personally introduced anyone to Jesus. And an even more staggering statistic that 90% have never even tried to do that. So last week we looked at a simple, easy, I think very biblical way of talking about Jesus with our friends and neighbors. And that was the same uh, template that Paul used, just telling our very own Jesus story. Last week you wrote down what your life before Jesus looked like, how you came to know Jesus, and what your life since Jesus has looked like. And I challenged you last week to share your Jesus story with one person during the week. And I've been thinking on how to follow up on that challenge. And I thought maybe I'll ask everyone who at least attempted to tell their Jesus story to raise their hand. But then I decided not to do that this morning. I thought, well, maybe I'll just, you know, talk to one or two people and have you share your Jesus telling story with us. I decided not to do that, at least not this week. I might come back to that, though. Instead, let me do this today. I want everyone who can agree with my statement to raise your hand. If you can agree with what I'm about to say, raise your hand. I attempted to share my story this week, and it was horrible. I was persecuted. I, I was belittled. I was put down. I was harassed. It was like the worst experience of my life. Anybody have that experience this week? Okay, we all survived. We all survived the week. Now, I've had several people tell me your story of telling your story. And I had a whole lot of people already share with me during the week. You know what? I told my Jesus story this week and it was fantastic. You know, I was a little bit nervous about it, but they listened. They were very kind. We had a really nice conversation afterwards. It was great. I had several people tell me, I shared my Jesus story this week. And I don't know that it really went anywhere. I mean, they were respectful, but they didn't ask any questions. And that, that was just it. I had a couple people tell me, I tried to tell my story this week. And I was told, no thanks. I don't care to hear it. Guess what? If any of those situations describes your attempt, congratulations. You succeeded. Because all I asked you to do was to try and share your Jesus story, including the gospel, with one person this week. And if you attempted to do that, um, you were successful. Now, where God takes that, that's not up to us. Well, as you are probably aware, this isn't just a one-time challenge, okay? That wasn't last week's thing, and we're never going to talk about that again. We want this to be kind of the focus of what we're about. We want this to be part of who we are kind of woven into our daily lives. 
For the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at some other ways to share Jesus with people, some other ways to introduce Jesus and, and to bring up our story, again, in ways that aren't threatening and, and aren't going to put people off. But I thought that this week was a really good week to sort of step sideways and talk about the elephant in the room. And that is the fact that, you know why we're so hesitant to share Jesus sometimes? Because I'm afraid. Why are we so afraid to talk about Jesus? Why is that such a part of our hesitancy? I, I suspect that those of you who did share your story, I bet there was a little bit of nervousness involved. And I bet those of you who didn't share your story, one of the reasons was, man, I was really nervous. I wanted to. I think we all want to. But it kind of scared me. Mark Twain once said, there's two types of speakers. Those who are nervous and those who are liars. And I think he's right. You know, nerves, uh, fear, that's just kind of a part of, of, of uh, speaking up and speaking out. And that's why we're talking about today, why are we so afraid? This morning I want to share with you some strategies of overcoming fear, defeating fear. Uh, some things from Scripture. If you look in your, your handout there, at top of page 2, you'll find the, the definition of a phobia. A phobia is a persistent, abnormal, ir, or illogical fear of a specific thing or situation. And I don't have to tell you that there are hundreds of phobias that have been diagnosed and, and discussed. Uh, there's astrophobia. It's the fear of thunder and lightning. My dog suffers from astrophobia mightily. Uh, there's autophobia. That's the fear of being alone. I have a daughter who I think suffers from autophobia. She calls it FOMO, just fear of missing out, but she hates to be alone. Thankfully, I do not suffer from phallocrophobia. It's the fear of going bald. <laughs> Apparently, it's a thing. And I'm sure there are, you know, support groups for it. I don't worry about that. I also don't suffer from venustrophobia. It's the fear of beautiful women. I don't suffer from that. Take a look at my wife. I don't have any problem with beautiful women. I have been diagnosed with a fear of giants. It's called fee-fi-phobia. <laughs> that was bad. But the truth is, phobias are real. Now, here I am kind of making jokes about them. Phobias are real. Steve Roberts had a real phobia, arachnophobia. Steve Roberts was afraid of spiders. He was. And he would tell you, I know it's illogical, I know it's silly, I know it's, it's weird, but spiders freak me out. And they did. And I could tell you a lot of really funny stories about <laughs> Steve Roberts being freaked out about spiders of every size. He had a full-blown phobia about spiders. Phobias are real. Let me share with you one more phobia that's real, and that is witnessophobia. Now, I'm not sure that's really a word, but it is a thing, okay? The fear of witnessing. And I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that it's not real, because it is. And I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that fear is not an issue, because it is. 
What I am going to do is stand up here and tell you we can overcome our fear. We can overcome our witness of phobia. In the middle of page two on your handout, how to overcome your fear of witnessing. And you notice it doesn't say how to eliminate fear because we're not going to eliminate it. But we can overcome it. We can get past it. This morning I want to give you seven principles from God's Word. And the first principle is this. Understand that fear is normal. Fear is a real emotion. It's a real response. Now you look in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, hundreds of times God tells His people, don't be afraid. And hundreds of times God's people tell God, but I can't help it. I'm afraid. You think about Abraham. Abraham was the father of the faithful. I mean, he is like the definition of faith, right? Not once, but twice, Abraham lies about his relationship with his wife. He calls his wife Sarah his sister because he's afraid. Think about Moses. He's like one of the superheroes of Scripture. He sees a bush that's burning in the wilderness and it's not being consumed, so he, he goes over to check it out. God speaks to him audibly, says, take off your sandals, you're standing on holy ground. And then God tells Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt, I want you to confront Pharaoh, I want you to tell Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go. Amen? Yeah. You remember Moses' response? But, 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 no, no, I can't do that. He was scared to death. Or Elijah, one of my favorite Old Testament prophets. He has a showdown on Mount Carmel with 450 prophets of Baal. Which God is more powerful, Baal or Jehovah? Jehovah rains down fire from heaven, leaves no doubt. And Elijah has those 450 prophets of Baal put to death. Immediately following that, a woman, Jezebel, threatens Elijah and he's ready to give up. He's ready to quit. He's scared to death of a woman. Amen? Or New Testament, Peter. No holds barred Peter. I mean, take no prisoners, Peter. He's the guy that pulls the sword when the mob comes to arrest Jesus. I'll fight you all. A couple hours later, he's standing around a fire and there's a young girl that accuses him of just knowing Jesus. Not once, not twice, but three times. Peter says, I don't know him. In fact, he calls down curses. I don't, I don't know him. He's afraid. Or the Apostle Paul, maybe the greatest witnesser of all time. In a letter that he wrote to his brothers and sisters in the church at Corinth, Paul says this, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul said, I was just telling my story. I was just sharing the gospel. In verse 3, he writes, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul. I came to you in weakness and fear and much trembling. If you attempted to share your story last week and there was a little bit of trembling, maybe even much trembling, congratulations, you and Paul. You're in really good company. You know, those phobias that I mentioned a, a minute ago, kind of silly, a little bit weird. If you suffer from witnessophobia, it's not silly. And you're not weird. You're normal. 
It's a normal response. Join the crowd. Fear is a normal response. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Ask friends to pray for you. Notice what Paul writes to his friends, the brothers and sisters in Jesus, as he writes the book of Ephesus. Paul writes, And pray also for me. The words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. As Christians, we are commanded to pray for each other. We're commanded to bear each other's burdens. And one of the things I so appreciate about this family is your attention and your devotion to prayer. But think about the things that Paul prayed for. Paul never prayed for a girlfriend. Never prayed for a wife. Paul never prayed for an uptick in the tent-making industry. So you know his finances would look a little bit better. He never prayed for an easy life. He never prayed for comfort. I can only find one time when he prayed to be out of prison. And that was just so he could go back and do more ministry. But what Paul does pray for, he prays for boldness in witnessing. He prays for being bold in telling people about Jesus. And he asks his friends to pray for him in that same regard. You know, we pray all the time for people who don't know Jesus. God, you would be with this person. Would you open their hearts? God, would you be with this person who doesn't know Jesus? It's so important. And then we never tell that person about Jesus. We ought to be praying for us. God, give me the courage. Give me boldness to tell that person who doesn't know your son, to share my story, to share Jesus with that person. This week... If you're planning on sharing your Jesus story, and you are, right? Everybody do this. We are. If you're planning on sharing your Jesus story this morning, you might want to ask someone here, would you pray for me this week? No, I have somebody in mind, or maybe I have no one in mind, but I really want to do this. I want to tell somebody my Jesus story. I want to talk about Jesus. But I know when it comes right down to it, Satan's going to get in the way. Would you pray for me? Would you pray that I may speak boldly? Would you pray that God would give me courage in talking about His Son? Ask friends to pray for you. However, keeping it real, number three, expect to face opposition. You can expect to face opposition. Jesus tells His disciples in John 15, if they persecuted Me, they'll also persecute you. I've got uh, 2 Timothy 3.12 on the screen. I don't think it's in your notes. You might want to pencil it in. But Paul writes to Timothy and says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You know, we're talking about overcoming fear. And we have this legitimate fear of, what if this happens? And Scripture tells us, that's probably going to happen. Okay, you can expect opposition. I remember when my, my kids were pretty small, pretty young, we took them to a haunted house around Halloween. And it was a very G-rated thing. It was real kid-friendly. I mean, it was designed for small kids. And I went through it with my daughter. And she was probably six or seven at the time. And before we even got, yeah, yeah Dad, I want to go. Let's go, let's go, let's go through it. When we got right there, she was scared to death. 
No, I don't want to. You don't have to. Yes, I want to. Okay. So we start through this. Basically, it was a dark maze. We start through this maze, and she's like, I don't want to. Well, there's a lot of people behind us now. We're kind of committed. Let's go. But she was so afraid of what was around the next corner. She was so afraid of what might happen, even though none of the things that she feared was going to happen. No, she hated it. She just hated it. I got through, and, and my son, who's two years younger, I want to go through. And Maggie's like, no, don't do it. Will's like, yeah, let's go. But I knew what to expect now. So I told Will what was coming. Okay, when we go around this next corner, a light's going to flash. Get ready for the light. We went around the corner, light flashed. He was ready. We get to the end of this hallway, a pumpkin is going to come up. Get ready for the pumpkin. And he just laughed at the pumpkin coming up. You know, he had a great time because he knew exactly what to expect and he wasn't afraid of it. And maybe that analogy is too simplistic. I don't know. But if you know what's coming, it shouldn't, shouldn't, uh, shouldn't scare us. And notice the word in your handout is opposition, not persecution. We're going to face opposition. In America, I'm convinced you're not going to face persecution. Now, there's places in the world where you will. But you're not going to face persecution. The worst you're going to face is opposition. And by the way, listen, we face opposition in every area of our life. We constantly face opposition. You go to work, you go to school, relationships. There's always people sort of pushing back, isn't there? It doesn't stop you from going to work. It doesn't keep you from going to school. I mean, things never go exactly like I thought they might. There's always a little bit of pushback. There's always a little bit of, oh, that's, you know, didn't see that coming exactly. But you deal with it. That's life. Expect opposition when, you, when you're talking about Jesus. Number four on your handout. Focus on your rewards. Focus on your rewards. One of the great motivators that God uses all through Scripture is the promise of a reward for His children who are obedient. And yeah, God also promises punishment for disobedience, but read your Bible. There's a whole lot more discussion about the reward for righteousness than there is about retribution for the unrighteous. heard about a teenager who just got her learner's permit and she asked her parents if she could drive them all to church on a Sunday morning. And they, they let her. And after a very scary, very hair-raising trip to church, she finally comes screeching into the parking lot. The mother was in the back seat, and she said, thank you. And the daughter said, any time, I'll do it next week too. And the mom got out and slammed the door and said, I wasn't talking to you, I was talking to God. <laughs> now we have so much to be thankful for, right? We have been blessed in so many ways. God has promised us eternal rewards. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, He who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. And that's really what we're talking about in this whole series. Just planting, watering. Scripture promises a reward for those efforts. Next time you're afraid to talk to people about Jesus, remember there's a reward for doing that. But Scripture doesn't just talk about a reward you know, in the great by and by. It also talks about rewards in the here and now. Philemon 6, And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that's in us for the sake of Christ. 
If you are in Christ, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. And this verse says, the more I tell people about Jesus, God opens up our understanding of how wonderful it is to be in Jesus. Focus on your rewards. Listen, I am convinced that God will bless anyone who brags on His Son. Anytime you make Jesus look good, I'm convinced God's going to bless you for that. Focus on your rewards. And then here's a fifth strategy for overcoming fear. Bottom of page four on your handout. Forsake the win them mentality. We've got to forsake this idea that it's up to me, which is really tough for us because we thrive on measurable results. How am I doing? What's my score? What's the data? What are the numbers? We love to be able to measure results. Are we winning or are we losing? Plus, we're pretty competitive. Now, us Americans, we're pretty competitive. A lot of us are going to watch the Super Bowl tonight. Two teams are going to play. One team's going to win. One team is going to be a loser, right? Their fan base is going to be devastated. Oh, we blew it. We gave it away. We were terrible. You know, they're going to be so disappointed. There's 30 other teams that would love to have had the season that the Rams and the Patriots have had. But one's going to be a winner and the other's going to be a loser. We're obsessed with winning. We need to redefine our definition of success when it comes to talking about Jesus. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed is the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. And there we go right back to planting and watering. Only God gives the growth. You can't do anything. You can't force anyone to do anything as far as convicting hearts. You can't share your story smoothly enough. You can't argue well enough. You can't quote enough Scripture. You can't take someone by the shoulders and shake it into them. We can't force anyone to do anything. We don't convict hearts. We certainly don't save anyone. All we do is plant and water. All we do is talk about Jesus. It's up to God to, to convict hearts. Our job, again, is to make Jesus look good. Our job is to tell people the good news of Jesus, which happens to be strategy number six for overcoming fear. Don't forget that you have good news. This is good news for everyone that we're trying to share. The message of Jesus has always been good news. It always will be good news. The night He was born, the angel told the shepherds, Fear not! For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. You know, the word gospel is defined as good news. What you're sharing is good news. You're, what you're sharing is the fact that Jesus loves you so much that even though He knows everything about you, He knows exactly what you've done, what you've thought, 
He knows your entire life. He still loves you so much that He desires a relationship with you. But because of my sin, I've separated myself from God. So God did the only thing that He could do. He sent Jesus to come to the earth to live a perfect life, to be crucified on a cross, to be laid in a tomb. But just to prove that it wasn't some fairy tale or some other religion that someone was trying to start, God brought him back to life three days later. And now he sits at the right hand of God. And if I believe that, and if I'm obedient to Jesus' teaching, I'm promised an abundant life here in this life, as well as an eternal life at home in heaven with him. That's good news. That's good news for everyone. We're not trying to sell somebody a used car. And I've got a lot of respect for used car salesmen. We're not trying to sell somebody a timeshare. We're not trying to convince somebody to join a club or or some kind of a cult. You're not trying to convince somebody to come listen to me. Listen, we're we're not selling the Bay Area Church Christ either. We're trying to introduce people to Jesus. We're trying to talk about Jesus, the good news that God wants a relationship with them and to bless them more than they can imagine. And Jesus is the way to that relationship. It's good news. I have two children who are type 1 diabetics. If somehow today I was told the the cure for diabetes, I would tell everyone I knew. I wouldn't go to sleep tonight. I would be telling everyone that good news. If someone whispered in my ear the cure for cancer, I'd be shouting it from the mountaintops. So would you. If somehow I knew how to reverse heart disease, you couldn't shut me up. I'd be sharing that with everyone. And this isn't some over-the-top preacher analogy here. I mean, everyone you know, everyone you work with, everyone you go to school with, everyone in your circle of friends, everyone in your family one day is going to die. Unless Jesus comes first, none of us are getting out of here alive. Again, last time I checked, the mortality rate of us humans is hovering right about 100%. We're all going to die. And people who die without Jesus die without hope. And people who die without Jesus die in their sins. And we've got the cure. We've got the answer. We've got the remedy. So why aren't we sharing good news with everyone? I think sometimes we don't talk about Jesus as much as we know we should because we're not really convinced that the good news is as good as everyone says it is. But intellectually, we know what is. What we're sharing is good news for everyone. Let me remind you of a passage that we looked at two weeks ago. Ephesians chapter 2, talking about this idea of being dead in our transgressions and our sins, our separation from God. And Paul writes, but God. And then on Wednesday night, James came to church with a shirt that said, but God on the front. I said, where'd you get that shirt? i got to have that shirt. But God is so rich in mercy. And He loved us so very much that even while we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's special favor. You might have a translation that says grace. It's only by God's grace 
that you've been saved. What we're sharing is good news for everyone. Don't forget that. And then finally, number seven. Finally. Remember it's an obedience issue. When it comes right down to it, it's an obedience issue. Last week I asked for a couple adult volunteers to, to share what they wrote. Today, in just a minute, I'm going to ask for a Faith Lane volunteer. Uh, once Jesus was out uh, doing what he did, walking around, talking to people, healing people, and there was a guy named Zacchaeus. And he was trying to see Jesus, but he had a problem. I was wondering, is there any Faith Lane students here for five Bible books? <laughs> Faith Lane students only that might be able to tell me anything about the story of Zacchaeus. Oh. I saw this young lady's hand up first. It's still up. Stand up. No, I didn't want to stand up. Yeah, stand up. Fear. We're overcoming fear today. Tell us all your name. Bailey. Bailey. Can you tell us, Bailey, anything about Zacchaeus? Um, Jesus was walking through and Zacchaeus was really short, so he couldn't see over the giant crowd, so he climbed up a giant sycamore tree. Okay, Zacchaeus was so short he couldn't see Jesus, so he climbed up a sycamore tree. You must know the song. <laughs> I wouldn't remember the sycamore tree unless we know the song, right? Um, did Jesus see him? Mm -hmm. Did Jesus say anything to him? He said, come down and... Um, Where did Jesus say he wanted to go with Zacchaeus? To his house. To his house. To Zacchaeus' his house, right? Awesome. Five Bible bucks. Don't share that with your brother. Thanks, Bailey. Now, see, you adults say, no, I can't stand up and say anything. Bailey stood up and said something. Awesome. Jesus goes and visits Zacchaeus' home. Zacchaeus, we know the song. We know the story. You know, uh, Zacchaeus, uh, I'm going to live my life right. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to return what I've stolen from people. I'm going to change my ways. But what if Zacchaeus had never come out of the tree? What if when Jesus sang, You come down, for I'm going to your house today. <laughs> what if Jesus had never sung that to Zacchaeus? Or what if Zacchaeus had never come down out of the tree? Now, we wouldn't be singing the song, would we? Because Zacchaeus obeyed Jesus. He did what Jesus said to do, and he was blessed because of it. Jesus says to Zacchaeus in Luke 19, verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. And then in verse 10, Jesus says to Zacchaeus, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. We know the verse. We don't always remember he was talking to Zacchaeus when he said that. Zacchaeus was obedient to what Jesus told him to do. Shortly after the resurrection, before Jesus was taken uh, back up to heaven, he tells his disciples in John 20, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. When it comes right down to it, talking to people about Jesus is an obedience issue. 
We've been sent. We've been told to go, to tell. There's a pretty famous scene at the end of the movie, A Few Good Men, where Jack Nicholson plays the Marine colonel, real tough guy, and Tom Cruise plays the lawyer, kind of flashy young lawyer. And Nicholson is on the stand, and he is uh, talking and answering questions, and he's trying to impress upon this lawyer that he lives in a different world than most people live in. And he follows different guidelines than most people live in. And if you remember, if you've ever seen that scene, the, the, uh, the exchange becomes very heated. And uh, Nicholson asks the lawyer, have you ever spent time in an infantry unit, son? And the lawyer says, no, sir. Have you ever served in a forward area? No, sir. Have you ever put your life in the hands of another man, asked another man to do the same? No, sir. We follow orders, son. We follow orders or people die. It's that simple. Are we clear? Yes, sir. Are we clear? Crystal. And of course, Nicholson is trying to get that young lawyer to understand, listen, I live in a world where men and women do what they're ordered to do. I live in a world where men and women are trained to obey orders because they realize that there's a lot more going on than they realize what's actually going on. That they're in the middle of something much bigger than themselves. And they trust the chain of command so completely and they are so disciplined in their own decision-making process that when they are told to do something, when they are ordered to do something, they do it. As Christians, we have been sent. We have been commanded. We have been ordered to tell people about Jesus. We follow orders. We follow orders or people die, and that's the reality. And we just talked at length about people who don't know Jesus are going to die in their sins. We follow orders or people die. It's as simple as that. That's why this idea of witnessing isn't something that we can say, well, we've got to let someone else take care of that. That's not my thing. Or I'm going to wait till like the perfect storm forms and, you know, it's just so, uh, so easy. Or I'm going to wait till the Spirit moves me and, you know, I, I feel like now's the time for me to do that. It's an obedience issue. And really understanding that it's an obedience issue really helps when that fear kind of takes hold because we can remind ourselves, I'm just doing what God told me to do. I'm just doing what God's commanded me to do. And God wouldn't tell me to do something that I'm not capable of doing. And I know God wouldn't ask me to do something that I have no ability to, to, to complete the task. So I'm just going to be obedient to God. I'm just going to do what God has told me to do and the rest is up to Him. So, on the back of page 6, based on what we've just seen in God's Word, what should you do today? Again, the operative word there being do. This isn't just about hearing. This isn't just about listening. This isn't just about information. It's about transformation. What should you do today? Middle of that page. Make the decision to defeat your fears. Make the decision to defeat your fears, and you can do that today.
Now, now you can't make the decision to never be afraid again. Because you're going to be afraid again. But you can make the decision to overcome your fear. You know, the stakes are just too high. The stakes are too high for us to be paralyzed by, by an irrational fear. Rick Warren once wrote, As a preacher, I've stood at the bedside of countless people as they've taken their last breath. I've never once had somebody at their dying moment say, Bring me my bowling trophy. I want to see it one last time before I die. No one's ever said, Bring me my certificate or my college degree so I can look at it one more time. I've never heard, Bring me the nice gold watch I got for 30 years of faithful service to the company. Nobody ever says that. What they say is, Bring me the people I love. Bring me the people I love. In the closing moments of their life, what people want are those that they love to be around them. And we all eventually figure out how important people are. And if our loved ones are truly that important to us, and they are, and if the news of Jesus really is that good, and it is, what are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? Why are we allowing fear to prevent us from doing what God has called us to do? Bottom of page 6. Knowing it's God's will and with God's help, starting right now, I will not let fear keep me from witnessing. Starting right now. Not first thing Monday morning. Not as soon as I get to work. Not, uh, you know, next year, New Year's resolution. Starting right now. Again, you can't say I won't be afraid because you probably will be. What you can say is I'm going to be a doer of the Word, not simply a hearer of the Word. So, if you're willing to do that, bottom of that page, I'm going to ask you to sign your name and put today's date beside it. February 3rd, 2019. And then you will notice at the bottom, the very bottom there, there's a couple challenges for this week coming up. The first challenge is a prayer. To pray every day. God, I want my friends to know Jesus the way I do. Help me defeat the fear I feel when I think about talking to them about Jesus. If you would pray that short, simple prayer every day this week, I have no doubt that God would honor that request. I want my friends to know Jesus the way I do. Help me defeat the fear I feel when I think about talking to them about Jesus. And then the second challenge, share your Jesus story with two people before next Sunday. Now, if you shared it with one person, you can share it with two person, two people. You said, no, I didn't share it with anybody because I was afraid. Okay, we've talked about that today, right? We've talked about overcoming our fear. Again, you can do this. You can do this. To share your story, which includes the gospel message, with at least two people this week. Again, we've already concluded none of us were stoned last week. None of us were thrown in prison. None of us were put outside the city. No, we, we survived the week. 
So our challenge for this coming week is to share your Jesus story with two people. Again, that's all I'm asking you to do. You don't have to ask questions after that. You know, maybe a conversation ensues, maybe not. But you share your Jesus story, including the gospel, with two people and see where God takes that. And then next week, we're going to talk about some other ways that we can bring Jesus up in conversation, some other ways that we can sort of lead into our, our Jesus story. So I really want you to be here next week uh, for that. But as we close today, we also want to offer a chance for anyone to respond to something that God might have been putting on your heart this morning, maybe something that was said or something that was read Something that during the week you just think, you know, I just need the prayers of people who love me about this. It might have nothing to do with our lesson. You know, as I said, I, I love this family's attention and devotion to prayer. And if we can pray for you about something that's going on, or maybe we can rejoice with you, we want to brag on Jesus today as well. If we can help you in any way, there'll be some people at the front of the auditorium and you can meet us there. Let's stand and sing.